Before we start this week's show, just a quick reminder on our Buy Me A Coffee memberships. As you may already know, the Brazilian Report is funded by subscriptions and support from loyal readers. Besides subscribing to our website and getting exclusive daily content on Brazil and Latin America, you can also treat our staff to one to five cups of coffee a month. In return, you get exclusive benefits, like special newsletters, behind-the-scenes content, as well as a special shout-out here on our podcast. And today, I want to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members, Yarden Iftach, Tonica Thompson, Anderson Da Silva, Kat Kramer, Fra, Peter Suffering, Anna Lund, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. If you are like them and believe in the importance of independent journalism, and if you want to hear your name on our podcast, just head over to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. If you cannot make a monthly commitment, you can still tip us a cup of coffee every now and then to give us just the energy boost we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. And we appreciate every support you can give us. Click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to find out more. Prices are going down in Brazil. Or are they? The country's official statistics agency published last week a 0.68% deflation rate for July. Sobre deflação no nosso país, a gente tem falado tanto de inflação. É a menor taxa desde o início da pesquisa do IPCA, né, que é aquele índice... It was a historic result, the lowest ever recorded for a single month in a series dating back to 1980. Before that, inflation calculations were too different to allow direct comparisons. The government celebrated the results with a victory lap, with President Jair Bolsonaro saying that, quote, good things are happening in the country. But a look under the hood of inflation numbers suggests that uh, we should see the data in a much more sober light. And we will explain why this week. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report, this is Explaining Brazil. Ilan Marshall is an editor at the Brazilian Report and I host him again to discuss the rise in Brazil's consumer prices. Ilan, hello and welcome back to the show. Hi, Gustavo. So, 0.68% deflation. It is a major result by any measuring stick. I mean, only 15 times in 42 years has Brazil recorded a monthly deflation rate. So, it's safe to say it is huge. But what drove the numbers down by so much? Yeah, it is huge, but we can't lose track of the fact that annual inflation remains above 10%. So, things are still pretty bad inflation-wise. And even though overall prices did go down, the only segments to actually see deflation were housing and transportation. So this is entirely the result of plunging fuel and energy prices through measures deployed by the government, such as getting Congress to pass a cap on state-level energy taxes. And, you know, we've covered these moves in other episodes and listeners can check our feed to get all the details on them. We will add them to this episode's notes as well on our website. 
So we want, it makes sense that only housing and transportation costs went down, assuming that lower energy prices are the deflation driver at the moment. What happened to other segments of the economy then? So here's why President Jair Bolsonaro might have fewer reasons to celebrate uh, upon closer examination. Food and beverages are up 1.3% in July. Clothing gained 0.58% and healthcare rose by half a percentage point. And these type of products, they gobble up a major chunk of poor family spending and they've got a real impact on how they perceive the cost of living as a whole, especially when we're talking about food. And I don't know if our listeners shop at Brazilian supermarkets, but if they do, they know what I'm talking about because the weekly shop has become so obviously much more expensive. Onions, for instance, they're 75% more expensive in a year. Milk, 41%. Fruits, 35% on average. Corn, 35% as well. The price of a dozen eggs last year can only buy nine eggs today. Now, some noticed that beef and poultry had low inflation rates over the past 12 months, according to that July reading, though. Yeah, this is true, uh, but that is from a very high baseline. Uh, in 2020 and 21, meat prices skyrocketed to the point that protein consumption in Brazil fell to the lowest point in a quarter century. And you had people thinking that Brazil might be even be turning vegetarian, but it wasn't by choice. People just couldn't really afford meat. So you could say beef got just 3% more expensive over the past 12 months. But if you extend that timeline, the picture gets much bleaker. Because when we look at June 2020 and June 2021, for instance, across that time period, beef became 38% more expensive. Hmm. And I mean, we see that every time we fill up our grocery carts, but putting that in numbers really gives a new dimension to it, I think. Uh, we did multiple reports on how high food inflation is changing supermarket shelves. Can you explain our listeners a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we've seen a number of kind of creative yet tragic ways of dealing with this current situation. Um, you've got entire stores dedicated to selling products that are close to their sell-by date and others selling things like damaged beans, uh, chicken carcasses and skin liquid whey as a substitute for milk, and even what you could call off-cuts of cold cuts. And what's that then? Well, you know the, the blocks of cheese or salami or ham or whatever that you would get at like a deli counter? You know the pieces on the end which are kind of the wrong shape, often just like 50% casing? You know, that's what some stores are selling. And one of the latest quote-unquote outrages has to do with Leitimosa, which is Brazil's most famous brand of condensed milk, which is a key ingredient in so many Brazilian sweets. So with the price of milk skyrocketing, they launched a new product, which is almost identical to the original. Emphasis on almost, right? Yeah, almost, because instead of condensed milk, it is a quote, condensed dairy mixture of milk, whey and starch. And this is all permitted in Brazil, of course, as long as it's properly labelled. For instance, you can't sell liquid whey as milk, but if you put it in a milk carton, stack it in the dairy aisle, and specify in the small print that it's not actually milk, then that's fine. Yeah, and they usually uh, do it with cartons that are almost exactly like the original milk ones, with just like a little different colour code or something very misleading. And in places like the US, many companies are raising prices by reducing the package sizes, even if the cost remains the same. 
that is known as shrinkflation. And yet somehow the Brazilian version of it seems a little bit worse. Yeah, and another interesting point is how inflation changes the supermarket business. Because with lower customer demand resulting from the this combination of high food prices and stagnant wages, the sector has been working with its lowest inventory levels in a year. Uh, Stockout index by supply chain monitoring company NeoGrid sat at 11% in June. And that means that 11 out of every 100 items sought by consumers were not to be found on shelves. And NeoGrid CEO Hobson Munoz told the Brazilian report that retailers are learning to ration demand from the consumer's point of view to avoid accumulating unsold products. And this is also making negotiations tougher with distributors who are now less keen on offering discounts for smaller orders. He said that retailers are no longer buying out of opportunity, but out of sheer necessity. No, that is quite curious indeed. And I mean, looking at the data with the microscope, as you're helping us do, uh, shows how overall inflation is a number that doesn't really mean anything when you're talking about how each family experiences inflation because each household buys different products so it means each household is exposed to a different inflation rate but i want to circle back to our talk about deflation many economists disagree on whether deflation is by definition bad or if it can be good depending on the situation in general, if deflation is widespread and long-lasting, it may suggest that prices are going down just because the economy is in a very, very poor shape. But that doesn't necessarily seem to be the case with Brazil right now, does it? Actually, no. Uh, for one, because deflation isn't widespread, as we said, uh, and also because economists don't expect that it's going to continue for much longer. Yeah, but Markets have lowered their year-end inflation forecast for the past seven weeks now to around 7% for 2022. If inflation is at 10% now, it will have to continue to fall for months to come. Yeah, but this inflation optimism is mostly confined to this year. Uh, markets have been raising their inflation forecast for 2023 for the past 18 weeks in a row now. And in October 2021, markets expected annual inflation to reach 3.25% next year. Now, they think it's going to hit almost 5.4%. So, I mean, we could say that inflation might have peaked, but it will probably continue quite high. And why is that, if you can remind our listeners? Well, interestingly, the reason that inflation is going down in the short term is also why inflation will remain high in the long term. Last week, the Central Bank's Monetary Policy Committee warned that measures the government took to boost short-term demand will make it difficult to anchor expectations. These measures such as fuel tax caps or placing Brazil under an artificial state of emergency to get permission to jack up social spending. So all of this creates all sorts of problems. Uh, high inflation led the central bank to push benchmark interest rates way up from 2% in March 2021 to almost 14% now. And that pushes the cost of borrowing up. And new data shows that 78% of Brazilian families were in debt in July and 29% of them were unable to pay their overdue bills. And that's the highest level for these indicators since 2010. Now, you and the 2022 electoral campaign formally started this week. 
And I mean, we obviously cannot avoid talking about how inflation will affect the October the second vote. You and I said in this very podcast back in October of last year that inflation is a president's worst enemy, especially a president running for re-election. So how do these inflation findings you are laying down for us play out in the electoral landscape for this almost two months we have until election day? Well, it's hard to predict the future, of course, but there are positive and negative indicators for Bolsonaro. It just depends on where you want to look and also if you see the glass half full or half empty. Gasoline and ethanol prices dropped by 15.5 and 11.4% last month, respectively. And given how present the price of gas is in our everyday lives, many see that as kind of shorthand for the economy at large. I mean, as an example, perception of rising inflation has gone down but it went down from 97% of voters believing prices will rise by at least a little to 85%. Positive? I mean, sure, but it's not exactly great. Talking in these terms kind of reminded me of a well-humoured ad for the Brazilian rugby team in which they were saying two South American championships ago, Argentina finished first, Brazil finished fifth. Then in the last one, Argentina finished first and Brazil finished fourth, which means Argentina is stagnating while Brazil was making progress. I mean, it's it's better, but it doesn't mean it's good, right? And the polls have not yet reflected any major bump to Bolsonaro's electoral stock, have them? Not quite. Uh, Bolsonaro is making steady progress, but as we mentioned last week, it's going at a very slow pace. It's hard to tell whether that is due to anti-Lola voters beginning to flock to him or to the impact of these feel-good factors that the government is trying to generate. But the administration's rejection rates are slowly but steadily going down, which is suggesting that some voters' resistance to vote for Bolsonaro is kind of breaking down. And as we showed in July, Brazilians are more optimistic about inflation, they're more willing to spend, and you know, that's really good news for the economy. But how much that will affect Bolsonaro's electoral prospects has yet to really show up in the polls, as you said. We are now entering that season where we have new polls every two or three days. We just had one from one of Brazil's main posters uh, on Monday this week. What does this latest reading say? Well, uh, just like last week, more of the same, really. Um, on Monday, so this poll you're talking about is by IDEC, and that showed former President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva winning the race in a first-round landslide, polling at 44%, which was more than the 41% of all the other candidates combined. However, when you take the kind of margins of error into account, it seems more and more likely that the vote will go to a second round. And the big one is on Thursday when Datafolia publishes its latest poll and that may further help measure the effects of Jair Bolsonaro's economic electioneering. And if we break down voters by groups in terms of age, geography, education, does it tell us anything about where Bolsonaro may try to find a crack in Lula's lead? Um, not really, because Lola leads Bolsonaro at the moment in every social group, although they are statistically tied among voters in the south of Brazil and those with college degrees and also among people aged 35 to 44. And this latter group, uh, the one of voters aged 35 to 44, that accounts for 20% of the total electorate. 
But when you look at the other 80%, Lola is winning by quite some distance. And it's quite telling because in the South and among college graduates, Bolsonaro in 2018 just won by miles and miles ahead of uh, the runner-up. So the fact that uh, they are in the statistical tie is already bad news as it is, even if uh, Bolsonaro is pulling much better in these groups than in the other ones. Are there other relevant pieces of data in this latest pool we should have our eyes on? Well, when they look at the runoff itself, uh, President Bolsonaro has 35% of the vote at the moment. And what's interesting is that is only three points more than he'd be expected to get in the first round. So that's really not ideal. And you've got at the same time, Lola is polling seven points higher in the second round than he does in the first. Still, I would say that pushing the race to a runoff scenario could scramble things over. I'm always skeptical of runoff polls because voters are not yet in that headspace. So I don't know how accurately they reflect how voters will behave in front of the, the, the voting machine when it comes October the 30th, if it comes down to it. And we also have to consider that economic conditions might reach their best point in years by the time voters will hit the polls. Yeah, and, you know, we could argue that these conditions are artificial and they won't last, but, you know, many voters might well be swayed by them. I mean, the Brazilian Brazilian public machine is powerful and, you know, Bolsonaro's going to milk it for everything he can get. And how many voters who are eventually swayed by these economic conditions, that will be a determining factor in how this election turns out. Ewan, thank you very much, and I know you will keep a close eye on how this race will develop. Thanks, Gustavo. And we at The Brazilian Report are about to launch a special 2022 election report with everything you need to know about the races for Congress, governorships, and of course the presidency, also the risks for Brazilian democracy. Every four years, pundits everywhere will comment on how the next elections are, quote, a defining moment for their country. But in the case of 2022 Brazil, these comments seem quite justified. And if you want an early bird discount, email our head of business development, Laura Kihan. You can write to her at laura at brazilian.report. Laura at Brazilian.report. We'll add her email address to the show notes too, which we publish every week on our website. And if you like explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second and it will help us reach a broader audience. Better yet, you could sign up for the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model, and your subscriptions is what fuels our journalism and keeps us going and growing. If you are already a subscriber, then you can give us some extra support by filling our coffee mugs with donations on Buy Me A Coffee. This membership program offers special perks like behind-the-scenes content and exclusive newsletters. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash BrazilianReport. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. And Explaining Brazil will be back next week. <laughs>